Fitzgerald, she's Chantal Fallins, and you are watching AM to DM. Good morning, Isaac. Good morning, Chantal. How I are love you? these looks you're serving. Thank your polka you so dots. much. Polka, polka dots are in. Okay. If they're okay. not, I'm bringing them in. That's going to happen. You're making it happen. I really think you're pulling it off. You Thank are you making so it. Much. I'm going to get like some polka dot shirts. You should do it. Some Just tees. do like a button down blouse with polka dots Ooh, on it. Yeah, really lean into nice. the polka dots. And your nails, too. I'm sorry. I'm full Thank of compliments. It's okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I love I your glasses. Always a huge fan. Oh, now we're just in a compliment off. I know what's happening. I'm winning. Listen, this is our first time hosting together. We love to laugh. We're going to have a lot of fun on We're today's giggly. show. Love it. We yes. are giggly. So we have to start with this Kim Kardashian meme that has taken over Twitter. <laughs> Bossip tweeted, that Beyonce Google alert went off, we see. Ooh. Okay, now listen, I got to come, you know, I live in the light. Uh, I get that that is a shady tweet, <laughs> um, but I don't fully understand it. So kind of help me understand why this is so funny. What's the background on this? Happy to explain. Thank so basically you. yesterday, Kim Kardashian tweeted a photo of herself on a bed mm -hmm. and she looked a little lifeless. And so the <laughs> caption said, like butter, and it was promoting Kanye's Ye new Yeezy Boost line of sneakers. Okay. However, there's like, the shoe is just barely in the photograph. It is, right? It's yeah. just one shoe. It's honestly like, she's just lifeless. This, like, what are you doing, Kim? And are you sleeping? Are you going to bed? Are you prepping for a nap? We don't know. <laughs> and so it was conveniently released the same time Beyonce released her Vogue cover story. Mm. And so the timeline started to notice that Kim Kardashian always releases photos or some type of content the same time Beyonce does, whether it's a digital drop, an album, or if it's just anything online. Okay, and when you say always, are we talking like a day or two before or like always day of? And like, when's the last time she did this? Like literally the day of. Everything is love when the album dropped. Kim K loves to just post a photo of herself. Um, Beyonce released, um, any just any time Beyonce is just, which is rarely, right? When, mm -hmm. On Instagram, you, it's very obvious because not every day that Beyonce is publishing something on Instagram or Twitter. Mm -hmm. So when she does, Kim Kardashian Kardashian conveniently does it around the same time. Okay, and Chantal, if you'll allow me one more question. Are clothes always so lacking in these photos? I would say clothes aren't involved. Clothes <laughs> are kind of non-existent. Yeah, okay. what are clothes to Kim? You know? so. Sneaker promotion, but just with one sneaker. Yes, uh, exactly. Let's take a look at the memes, though. Y'all had fun with this. <laughs> this is my favorite Okay, one. what's going on here? So this is a popular dance called the shoot em dance. I would do it however I love to like not embarrass myself. <laughs> however, they photoshopped her into this photo with the guys dancing and it's just truly hilarious. It I like won't lie, it really works. It was so funny. It's just a perfect, perfect combination of just incorporating her being lifeless on the bed with this iconic viral uh, She doesn't right look now. lifeless now. She looks like she's she got looks the like moves. She's in the moment. Like yeah. She's really going in. <laughs> All right, let's get to this next one. We've got... Twister. Twister! <laughs> She's playing Twister! Are you serious? Oh my god, I'm sorry. This is so good. So good. It's like right hand blue. Yes. Left leg Left blue. Left leg every color. Every color. Every all right, color. All right, let's do this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry, these work so, they work so, so good. well. So have you ever finished a marathon? I have not. Because let me tell you, that's no. what it feels like. like. Yeah. You're just kind of tired. You're just like, I've done it. You're Get just it. absolutely getting through this. Exactly. I mean, I'm sorry. I love it when something like this takes over the timeline. I absolutely love this next one. Toys when Andy walked in the room. <laughs> yes. Yes. We we stand a Toy to, Story. We stand toy shout story. out. We, we love, love it. it. Yeah, shout out to Andy one time. I love it so much. So I gotta ask, have you ever, uh, you know, maybe tried to step on somebody else's moment the way that Twitter's accusing Kim Kardashian of stepping on Beyonce's? You know, Isaac, I have not because I love to stay in my lane. I love to really mind my own business and just try not to step on anyone's toes because that's how you prosper in life. Really stick to what works for you. <laughs> stay in your lane. Yeah. That's the that's just good advice for yeah, the day. That's everyone. your Tuesday advice, Twitter. Stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane. Okay, Twitter. 
Has anyone ever tried to upstage your big moment? Mm. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Hashtag Kim, maybe stay in your lane. Yep. But listen, from Kim Kardashian to international sanctions, baby, we've got the range. The president was up this morning tweeting, the Iran sanctions have officially been cast. These are the most biting sanctions ever imposed. And in November, they ratchet up to yet another level. Anyone doing business with Iran will not be doing business with the United States. I am asking for world peace, nothing less. That's, it took a jump there. Yeah, it, it, took it, a, it, took, it took quite a jump, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> here to help us make sense of that is Deputy World News Editor here at BuzzFeed, Hayes Brown. Good morning, Hayes. Good morning, guys. Hayes, tell us, are you also asking for world peace and nothing less? Nothing less. I have more and more become a good negotiator, so I think that uh, if the president can't get this deal, I may as well. I like it. You're, you're living boldly, Hayes, and I appreciate that. Uh, for real, though, what are some of these sanctions? Okay, so as of midnight, so about 10 hours ago, sanctions that were in place under the Obama administration and waived under the Iran nuclear deal snapped back into place. That, that means that Iran can no longer trade in U.S. dollars, which is a pretty big hit to their economy. They also can't, you know, deal in gold and precious metals. Uh, their automobile sector is hit now, and they uh, can no longer import the airplane parts that they just did for the civilian aircraft. Iran has a super aging civilian aircraft fleet, and under the Iran nuclear deal, the sanctions on their um, airplanes were lifted, and so they were trading with Europe to get some of these parts, and now blocked. Wow, blocked indeed. So Hayes, how badly will these sanctions hurt Iran if our allies don't follow suit? Mm. So that's a really interesting question because under Obama, the big thing was the sanctions are multilateral, which means it's not just the U.S. going alone. It's uh, working with the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Russia, China, the European Union, the United Nations Security Council to really make sure that these sanctions hammered home. The Trump administration is arguing, well, our economy is big enough that being cut off from it is a big enough hit by itself. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, it's like a political science experiment in real time. How effective are US unilateral sanctions compared to multilateral sanctions? We'll have almost one-to-one -one comparison. So a lot of nerds out there are very interested, interested to see how this goes. Ooh, Hayes, I love it when you talk nerdy to us. Uh, I gotta ask, oh, very nice, very nice. I gotta ask though, is this just yet again uh, another time when Trump is dismantling uh, some of the things that Obama did under his administration? I mean, yes and no. On the one hand, I'm pretty sure the president only dislikes the Iran deal because it was an Obama initiative. Like, if we're going to the top, that's probably the case. But the people around him genuinely thought that, no, this is a bad deal because, in their opinion, this includes people like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton. They actually believe, no, this deal was too weak. It let Iran off the hook too easily. Uh, they believe that it should have included their ballistic missile program. It should have included, and it should have included a deal on Iran's adventurism abroad. So their work in Syria, their supporting of Hezbollah and other terror groups. So they believe that the, the Obama era nuclear deal, no good. They're fine with it being trashed uh, for policy reasons. But Trump, pretty sure it's just that it had Obama's name all over it. Yes, and Trump loves to talk about Obama. So Hayes, tell us, what do our allies and other players on this world stage think of these state sanctions? Oh, they hate them. They hate them so much. Uh, the European Union is so 
upset with us for leaving the Iran deal. Even though we said we were going to do it, Trump said it all over, throughout the campaign, Europe tried so hard to get us to stay on board that um, they, the European Union has actually passed what they call a blocking statute, which means that they're protecting their companies from the effects of these sanctions that uh, come from the U.S. So one of the big things about U.S. sanctions is that they have secondary effects. So it's not just the country being sanctioned, but doing business with that country gets you hit and blocked from the U.S. financial market and whatever else the sanctions in this case do. Uh, so Europe is saying, no, it's okay, companies. Keep trading with the run. We'll make sure you're good. So it's – and Russia and China – clearly hate the fact that the u.s has pulled out of this deal so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this one goes oh we're pissing people off internationally again uh surprise surprise listen hayes while we have you though i wanted to ask you about another international story buzzfeed news curation editor elamin abdel mahmoud who runs the fantastic buzzfeed news newsletter tweeted if you had Saudi trolls would be calling for Quebec independence in your 2018 predictions, you should go play the lottery right now. Hey, right now, right now. Why are Saudi Arabia and Canada fighting and how real is this getting? Okay, so pretty real. Um, so here's the situation. Saudi Arabia uh, recently has been on a bit of a modernization kick under the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. And he did a tour of the United States early, earlier this year, getting props from Western observers being like, look at this guy. He's a reformer. One of the big things that he agreed to was allowing Saudi women to drive. But right before the uh, initiative took off, they started, Saudi Arabia started arresting a bunch of the women activists who have been pushing for this in the first place. Just last week, two more activists were arrested in Saudi Arabia. And on Friday, Canada put out a statement, as governments do, saying, no, Saudi Arabia, don't do that. You should immediately release these activists because what are you doing? Saudi Arabia didn't like that, as it turns out, and kind of went apeshit, like recalling their ambassador to Canada, kicking out the Canadian ambassador, saying no new trade or investment deals with Canada, and Saudi airlines have stopped flying to Toronto. Canada is like WTF, eh? And I agree, because it is wild how much of an overreaction this is from Saudi Arabia. Wow, Hayes, you <laughs> truly know how to tell a story. Thank you so Broke much for down. joining us. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Hayes. And, and again, I've got a shout out, because I, I know I compliment your polka dots. He had real good color matching going on there. Yeah, he, he got had, the memo, yeah. I'm starting to be like, I should dress yeah. a little nicer for the show. All right, listen, <laughs> let's move now from international trade to international intrigue. BuzzFeed News national security correspondent Vera Bergengrun, you tweeted, Maria Butina's time in South Dakota has mainly been ignored, but it would become the blueprint for her later efforts in D.C. and the NRA. It's there, interacting with average Americans, that she learned what makes U.S. conservatives tick. And Vera joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So, why South Dakota? <laughs> well, that's what I went there to find out. I went to Sioux Falls and just uh, started kind of retracing her steps because everybody's been focused on, you know, her meeting Don Jr. and her going to these conventions and um, all these different things here in D.C. But, you know, she spent a ton of time in South Dakota and there wasn't none of, none of those people were there for her to meet. And uh, so it turns out that, you know, you can't just show up and, as a Russian and start meeting all these high-level people in the U.S. You kind of have to have some kind of track record. 
So that's what she was doing there. She was just meeting all of these regular Americans and she was speaking to kids and she was, you know, taking lots of photos with guns and she was going hunting so that later people would kind of look her up and say, oh, you know, she's legit. She is a gun activist from Russia who hangs out in the U.S. and, you know, I can invite her to speak at my events. So now there's just a ton of people in photos with her who are kind of freaking out because they had no idea. And uh, she was just such a compulsive social media poster networker that, you know, she just has like thousands of people in these photos with her. And so, so she, yeah, it's crazy. So, the, but this is kind of where she went to kind of build up her background. Um, how did she get in with these people? What kind of connections did she make? I mean, did you just show up on somebody's doorstep and say, hey, I'm from Russia and I'm pro guns or like, how'd, how'd she make it work? Right. Well, so she had help from uh, this person that is, you know, only described as U.S. person one in uh, these filings, but it's Paul Erickson, who's, you know, a guy who's three decades older than her and ended up being, uh, you know, her lawyer describes him as her boyfriend. So she had some help with someone who's actually from South Dakota. But mainly, honestly, what people there were telling me is if you like to shoot guns, you know, you have an in. You just show up to Huns. You can easily, you know, like I said, talk to universities, talk to high school students. So she didn't really, she basically could have just shown up. Um, and, and you know, just people were really welcoming. Uh, I talked to a lot of people in D.C. who she met who were kind of freaked out by her because they said, you know, she was just too friendly and was always trying to connect on Facebook and stuff like that. But that wasn't a problem in South Dakota because, you know, you it kind of went with her whole persona of, a, you know, a Russian gun activist who, had, you know, had been in Russian GQ and had, you know, a certain image of herself. So it wasn't, it, it turns out it just wasn't very difficult to get in with these people. Um, and it, you know, for example, the guy who's running for Congress now from South Dakota has to explain why he let her talk to, you know, this young Republicans camp. And he said, you know, I looked her up and she had spoken to all these other places. So you can kind of tell that it worked, you know, she was able to build this reputation um, just by showing up and, you know, being a young redhead who liked guns. <laughs> Wow, Vera, you mentioned you spoke to a few people about this. How surprised were they about this story? <laughs> well, very surprised because uh, many of them just had completely forgotten. So I would show up uh, because, she, like I said, she posted so much on social media. I just kind of revisited all the places she had been. And I would show up and just kind of say, you know, have you heard about this woman? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, I saw her on CNN. And then, you know, I was like, did you meet her? And they would deny it until I showed them these photos. And then they would absolutely lose it because, you know, they'd be like, shit, that's my boss. You know, why is he in this photo with her? Um, so that happened over and over again. They were very surprised. Um, you know, the neighbors, uh, they had more of an idea because they'd actually seen her around. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when they think of Russian spies or agents, they think of like, you know, the Americans. They thought of people, you know, murdering people and putting them into suitcases. So they were actually just really... They told me they were worried that the common areas were bugged. Um, they had a different kind of uh, fear, but the average South Dakotans who end up in photos with her were kind of intrigued and kind of amused, but also just kind of freaked out at how she got around and got so many of them um, on her blogs and Facebook and Twitter. I, for one, would definitely be very freaked out and surprised <laughs> if all of a sudden uh, it, it turned out I had been friends with a Russian, uh, an, an alleged Maybe Russian. Maybe you have been. Russian you spy. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Listen, one <laughs> last question before you go, Vera. Uh, you caused a bit of drama on the timeline when you asked if <laughs> South Dakota is a Midwestern state. It even caused discord in your own home. Here's a tweet from you. I brought this up to my roommate and her boyfriend, and this is just tearing our household apart. Yes, that's them pulling up a map to fight about it. They are now not speaking to each other. Uh, yeah. So, Vera, what <laughs> happened? And is South Dakota a Midwestern state? 
So first of all, let me defend myself by saying I'm not from this country. I'm from South America. So I Googled it and innocently put it into my story. And I called South Dakota Midwestern state because that's, you know, what the U.S. census says. And my editor immediately took it out and shamed me for it. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I couldn't let it go. And it caused a lot of drama uh, in our desk. And I decided to put it to Twitter, which was a really, really bad idea because it turns out that you Americans love fighting about your geography. Uh, and there's still no clear answer. I still think I was right. Um, and like I said, I don't think I'm an authority to, to say that since I'm not from here. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it turns out that I caused a lot of drama and tore a lot of households apart. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> a household divided. Well, I think it's safe to say we know where South Dakota is now, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Vera. Thank you. All right, listen, Twitter. I mean, she did. She said uh, that that's what the census, that's how the census says it's a Midwestern Mm -hmm. state. But a lot of people had feelings about it. So facts be damned. We want to hear from you. Is South Dakota a Midwestern state? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. Someone from South Dakota said it was, but Midwestern people seem really upset about this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Do you have any feelings? I feel like indifferent a little. I'm just like, you know, Midwestern. Yeah. What about you? You know, I'm going to go with if somebody from South Dakota says it's Midwestern, sure enough. Yes. That seems like Midwestern people are being a little Like snooty. I said, stay in your lane. I'm going to keep it to the South Dakotans. How, what are they called? Listen, I don't even know. It's not my lane. It's not my lane. <laughs> Listen, we've got a great show for you. We're going live from the district with Kate Nacera to break down the Rick Gates testimony. And later on, Isaac sits down with Guy Brainum. But up next, it's fire tweets. We're going to have some fire tweets. We're, We're going to laugh a little bit. Ready. Woo! <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, Rachel, hey, Girlfield, you're watching the show very closely. I very, it was like an aside. Yeah. I just mentioned marathons and you said, whoa, wait, did Isaac Fitzgerald run a marathon? To which I can actually say, yes, I did. Uh, just with a really big asterisk, let's say this. It okay. was when I was 19, which is pretty much when your body can do anything. anything. So I was smoking. I didn't even quit that. Uh, but I did come in second in my age group. Wow, congrats. Mainly because only three people ran it uh, in my age group. Wow. Well, yeah. let's, you ready to get in some fire tweets? Let's do some All fire right, tweets. All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing. I, t- I tell you. Alex Song, you tweeted. Very excited to announce my new job. Checking Instagram so frequently that I see the you're all caught up notification every time I open the app. Wow, I feel attacked, cause same. I'm like- Do you, Have you ever seen it? I have, because I literally, I dig deep into Instagram. Like I'm telling you, face down in the app. Like, and then at the end it tells you that you- okay. Like you've seen it like once or you've seen once. it- Once, ha- like I haven't seen it multiple times. Okay. If I saw it multiple times, I'd have to reevaluate my life. Would you Honestly. take the app off the phone? Maybe? I would, I'd be like, it's time to re- reconsider. I, I will, big surprise, I've not seen it haven't? yet. Okay. One day. Well, that's we're not doing day. too much. My white whale. <laughs> American housewife, you tweeted, we've met is Southern lady code for, I remember you because you were horrible to me, but you don't remember me because you're horrible to everyone. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> On the truth. That's just real, that right? That is so real. That's very Southern, by the way. As a fellow Texan, mm. listen, that's so real. All if right. you say to me, we've met, I should watch yeah, it Yeah, it's like, really just calm down. <laughs> All right, next tweet. <laughs> You tweeted, dentist saws your jaw in half. Dentist, see, you're bleeding because you don't floss. <laughs> wow. Ooh, that's wow. a dark one. Drag 
but the dentist, why don't you? To be fair, though, that's always what. Oh, do, they just got metal in your exactly. mouth. They're like, oh, do you floss? Yeah, I but, got one for like a checkup. They're like, I have to remove your entire teeth. Like, just literally, <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, like, what is happening? Like, it sounds like you and I need to find yeah, a new dentist. Sounds, Maybe a new dentist. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Cortez, you tweeted, I have a billion dollar idea. Check it out. A bar that plays music at about half the volume of all other bars. Yes. Yes. Here for it. I would I would be there every, every day. Every night, every I, moment. I love metal bars, but imagine if they just kept the music at a five. Yes, or a four. Oh, beautiful. Yes, ready for the tweet of the day? Let's do it. Let's do it. Beth McCall, you tweeted, if you want a wife that will cook and clean for you, then that's not me. But if you want a wife who will support and love you unconditionally, then again, that's not me. I don't like you. <laughs> wow, if I have never felt more seen. <laughs> it's okay. you, it's, 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 it's I you. I finally have felt more seen ever. Like, I just, love it. Like, I love it. Listen, up next, we are going live from the district with Kate Nussera. I hope she does actually love us. I, oh, I, I, I think I, she will. I yeah, it'll be all right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed DC Bureau Chief Kate Nassara. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How we're, are you? We're doing real right. good. Oh, great. I, you guys are cutting in and out a little bit, so if I'm a little delayed, that's why. All right, no problem. I feel like I've just been complimenting everybody's looks. So, Kate, I feel like you got a haircut. Hair is looking on point. But we wanted to start here with this tweet from our Thank own you. Zoe Tillman. Manafort trial day six. Rick Gates is back on the stand. Prosecutors said they expected to need about three more hours with him today, and then we'll have a cross-examination by Manafort's lawyers. So, Kate, what did we learn from Rick Gates' first day at the Manafort trial? Well, uh, that, that he did crimes. <laughs> I mean, he literally, they asked, uh, did you do crimes with Paul Manafort? And he said, yes. So it reminded me a little bit of like when my mom caught me smoking pot when I was younger and she would say, Kate, were you smoking pot? And I you got me, lady. You know, yes, I was doing crimes. <laughs> they got you. <laughs> so Kate, how is the defense handling Gates? So uh, the defense hasn't uh, had a chance to cross-examine Gates. He is the government's star witness. He entered into a plea deal. He pleaded guilty. And so the government uh, has offered him some stuff in exchange for his testimony. The defense is planning uh, to really just pan his uh, entire existence, that he was, you know, they're, they're setting it up to, he was a shady character. He was a driving force uh, behind a lot of like the sketchier activity that he and Paul Manafort uh, were doing and that he's just not a reliable narrator when he says that, yes, he did some crimes. Yes, he did some crimes. All right, so how much of the prosecution's case kind of hangs on, on, on um, um, Gates' testimony? A lot, actually. I mean, he really is uh, the star witness. There are two cases going on right now for Paul Manafort. There's the one in Virginia, which is the trial that we are all watching right now. There is a second trial that is set to start in D.C. 
So Gates is key to both of those. His testimony as a person who was Paul Manafort's right-hand man for years and years and years. Reminder, they both worked on the Trump campaign together. That's kind of getting lost in all of this, that they both were running the, the, uh, the Trump campaign together at one point. That Gates would be a guy who was in a position to know what was going on, to know uh, where, the, where the sketchiness was happening. And he basically said yesterday, you know, Paul Manafort told me to lie on tax returns, to not register as a foreign agent, um, and, and I did it. It was just following orders. Wow, so Gates basically read all the receipts yesterday. <laughs> so, Kay, can we really explain? I can't hear you guys if you guys are talking right now. Oh, can oh, you hear us now? Sorry. It's okay. How about it's all now, good. Yeah. Got you. Awesome. So can we expect yeah, we're good. anything to actually come out of this trial? Um, I mean, I think that one thing that we can, you know, it really depends on how on, on what the jury decides, right? You know, this is if they if they find Paul Manafort guilty, I think it will show to other players uh, in the Trump orbit, the people that Mueller are indicting, that he is not messing around. I think that that you know Mueller's. Uh, Mueller's prosecution of Paul Manafort was really a signal to everyone else that if you are if you have done sketchy things, if you have been involved in criminal activity, we are looking into it and we are going after it. However, if the jury finds him not guilty, you know, I think I think that might have a rippling effect on how the rest of of the Mueller investigation goes. Okay, so really important stuff. I do want to highlight one. You should be following Zoe Tillman, who is BuzzFeed News' person on the ground there. Uh, but Zoe can't join us this morning, yes. which is why we're talking to you. Brilliant, Kate Nocera. Uh, mainly because the judge has, has had some issues with media in the room. Um, what are, we've heard a bunch of reports like that. What's that all about? So uh, the rules at the Alexandria Courthouse are you can't have a laptop, you can't have a cell phone. Zoe's stuff is literally locked in a hotel room across the street. So every time she wants to go tweet or they take a break or she has to write a story, she has to run her little legs across the street and go do that. Uh, a lot of other news outlets have more than one person there, so they're able to uh, get the, the news out a little bit quicker, but we just rely on Zoe Tillman, our all-star there. I think the judge, uh, the judge, as we know, has a little bit of a personality. He's a little grumpy. He doesn't like uh, the distraction of the media, but this is a really high profile case. And the fact is, is that people want to know about it. They need to know about it. All this stuff does is just kind of impede our ability to get our information out to the readers. And so uh, that's where a lot of sort of the anger from the media is coming from toward the judge, that this case really rises to a level where he needs to make an exception and you know let people have access to the internet so they can write their stories and tweets and get the info out. So Zoe can come on AM to DM. Yes, absolutely. And Kate, as you said, people want to know about this trial and we'll continue to follow it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. That said, I do love a grumpy judge. Oh, I won't lie. Come on. A fun sometimes. Love. Uh, yeah, okay, fair, sometimes. Yeah, okay, fair, 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 fair. <laughs> uh, all right, well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Representative Ron Estes, a Kansas Republican, doesn't need to convince voters to vote for Ron Estes. He just needs to make sure they know which Ron Estes to vote for. Ooh, and here's a tweet from Sarah Mims. This congressional race is basically just that Spider-Man meme everyone loves. 
<laughs> no, we have to do it. We have to, guys. We have to. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Joining us now to talk about this story is BuzzFeed News reporter Alexis Levinson. Alexis, what is going on in Kansas? So it's a weird one. Um, there is a, there's a congressman named Ron Estes, and they found a primary challenger for him whose name is also Ron Estes, which is confusing and, you know, generating some angst of like, how do you run against a guy with the same name as you? Um, and yeah, it's election day there. So we're, we're going to find out what happens with that. All right. Now, which uh, these two Estes, how did they handle having the same name? So the secretary of state actually made it a lot easier. He said that the congressman, Ron Estes, can be on the ballot as Rep. Ron Estes and that the other guy has to be Ron M. Estes. And the other guy's, I mean, the other guy is basically trolling. Like the other guy is not running a campaign. He has raised, I think, $2,000, a little over $2,000. Almost all of it went to building a website and then the filing fee to be in the race. He's done no, un, he's done no scheduled events. He's just says he's running a grassroots campaign and like basically making unscheduled stops in the district in which he lives. Um, and so he's done nothing, but he is on the ballot as Ron M. Estes, despite pleas to the elections board, they let him be real Ron Estes since the other guy got a title. Um, and so rep Ron Estes, who's the one who's doing all this campaigning has had to like really, it like, it costs money to run against a troll. <laughs> um, you know, he, he's got a radio ad on with this woman incredulously saying, did you know that when you go vote on whatever day it is, you know, there are going to be two Ron Estes's on the ballot. Um, and he's got yard signs where he's having to like staple a little, I think they called it like a post-it note in another piece that says vote rep, not just Ron Estes. Cause he clearly had these signs made before he knew he was running as a guy with the same name as him. And it's just, it's, it's a whole different kind of campaign here. Yeah. It definitely sounds like this other Ron is super trolling. How are local voters <laughs> reacting to all of this? So the, the, I was talking to the elections commissioner and she said it hasn't been as bad as she thought it would be, but this of course was before today. So before election day. Um, but what she did say was they were getting a lot of people coming up to the poll workers and saying, you know, you, you put the same guy on the ballot twice. Like what, what's going on? And there, there are all these laws obviously around what poll workers can say to people once they're in the voting booth, because you're not allowed to campaign in the voting booth. Um, but she said they're they're allowing poll workers to say, no, they are two different people, but they can't tell them anything about the two different people. They just have to say, no, they are two different people. Holy smokes. All right. Now, Alexis, I just I read your piece, but I, uh, the one question I had kind of after it was, are these two people related or like even could they be? <laughs> as far as I know, they're not. Um, but, but this actually has happened before because the, the congressman Ron Estes has been in Kansas politics for some time. And the other Ron Estes is married to a woman who has been in Kansas politics for a long time. And so there was this dust up in 2010 when he wrote a letter to the editor endorsing the not as Republican candidate in a primary. And everyone was like, oh, my God, why is why is our Ron Republican Ron Estes saying this? And it was the other Ron Estes. And it's just all very confusing. They've messed with each wow. other before. Yes. Met, that's, that's wild. <laughs> There's layers here. <laughs> Alexis, while we're talking elections, there are a lot of big primaries and races today, but everyone is focusing on Ohio's 12th district. Why all of the national attention? Well, so it's another special election. Um, it is right now, most of what we're getting are primaries. This is one where we're getting a general election. We've got a Republican versus a Democrat. It's been a fairly lower key one until the last month or so. Um, it hasn't, 
if you remember Georgia six and all of the crazy ones we had last year where the world went crazy and everyone was descending on them for months. Um, this one's been a lot quieter. So pe people think it's maybe a little bit more of a, a clear indicator of what might be coming in November. And that is, that is why everyone's focused on it. The polling has shown it very close. Um, Republicans, uh, Henry Gomez of BuzzFeed News, uh, wrote, he's in Ohio and he wrote a really great piece uh, last week about kind of Ohio Republicans on the ground looking at this and saying, my God, maybe, maybe we're not in as good shape as we thought we were. Um, and, and last night, the uh, Republican had what people are saying is like maybe a really bad blunder where he said, we don't want someone from Franklin County representing us. Franklin County is where his Democratic opponent is from. And now uh, the Columbus Dispatch was reporting that Franklin County election officials are anticipating way higher turnout than they thought it was going to be. So it's, it's a more Democratic area and now maybe more people are going to turn out to vote there because they're offended by this guy making kind of a wise crack about their district or about about their county. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't dunk on a county if you're going for their right? votes. Like, yeah. maybe not the best thing. <laughs> maybe not the best thing. And we'll tweet out Henry Gomez's piece as well. Uh, are there any other primaries or races that we should be focused on today? So there are a bunch. Um, the Some of the ones that have gotten the most attention are the ones where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has, she's been traveling the country and kind of trying to spread her progressive uh, magic to other people in kind of similarly uphill races as she had. Um, so she's endorsed in the Michigan governor's race. She's endorsed in a primary in Missouri and she's endorsed in one of the other primaries in Kansas, one of the democratic primaries. And so I'm, I'm certainly watching very carefully to see if her magic can kind of rub off on these other candidates in dramatically different places than Queens. Um, and the Michigan governor's race generally is just a, a sort of fascinating one um, where we're going to, we're, we're going we're gonna to get a lot of answers tonight on kind of what, what the Democratic Party is going to look like in the fall. All right. Thank you so much, Alexis, for all your reporting and for coming on the show this morning. Thanks. Up next, I'm sitting down with comedian and author Guy Branham. Stay tuned. He's going to teach me uh, how to be a goddess. Ooh. Yeah, right? to see that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. A goddess. Yes. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Guy Branham, stand-up comedian, TV host, and author of the new book, My Life as a Goddess, a memoir through unpopular culture. Guy, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's lovely to be here, Isaac. It's exciting to be at BuzzFeed. You guys have a lot of geometric art around. Yeah, we love geometric art. Yeah, it's just like metal metal things that are just going in all sorts of directions. We're really big fans of that. And you, you've you come to BuzzFeed before. You, This is like an old hat for you. I know. It, it feels like everyone is playing at all times. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very sweet. Like, last time I was here, it was just like a bunch of gay children in a room with crayons. And I was like, I like this. This is where ideas come from. <laughs> you were like, this is a beautiful place. Yeah. This is how culture gets made. It's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. Let's talk about your book title, yes. My Life as a Goddess. Why would you title it that? Oh, because I like start off the book with this story that I like constantly tell myself or friends. And it's just about this like goddess from Greek mythology who like the world is trampling her down. There's nowhere that she can safely be. Like things are really hard, and then she remembers that she's a goddess and turns a bunch of people who were mean to her into frogs. And 
My book is not about solving problems. It's about remembering that you can hurt other people when you need to sometimes. <laughs> that you've got that viciousness. Yes. Do you say that to you? Like, I'm a goddess. Yes. I mean, I just sort of remind yourself, you're a creature with power. Mm. Like, you can't necessarily change the situation, but you can change something. You have control over at least yourself. I love it. You also call the book a survival guide. What are you hoping people take away from it? Um, I mean, I like, it's just a guide to my survival. I mean, everybody survives. Everybody makes it through this world. Like, you are covered in, like, tattoos that tell a story of your life, uh, and I am just not going to get tattoos, so I decided to do it in a book form. <laughs> to basically say, like, here's a relatively honest representation of me and how I figured out how to be myself and talk about myself. Because one of the things in the, uh, about the book is that, like, when you're a type of person who isn't frequently represented in media, you don't necessarily know how to think about your own story. And this was how I used stories that were unlike mine to sort of figure out who I could be and how to do it. Do you feel like you found out something about yourself while writing it? The, the, maybe the, the next you you could aspire to be? Um, I think it like crystallized some of my understanding of myself, but mostly it just forced me to like go back through emotions that were packed away. Mm. And that mostly just led to me going on to uh, social media and finding guys I had had crushes on 15 years ago and realizing that they are no longer hot, which is <laughs> the real victory of the book. And I wish I had talked about that more because seeing someone who truly had grip of your heart and realizing like he's dumpy and a little bit sad now, not as dumpy as me, but maybe close. Um, <laughs> it's a victory. It's a victory. Um, let's talk about the chapter that you wrote about your body because okay. it was beautiful. I'm dumpy too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I just, I really, really loved it. Um, what, what were you kind of trying to get across and how is writing, and to be honest, just comedy in general, changed the way you view yourself and view your body? I mean, the, the chapter's primary purpose is just to say like, hey, media and the rest of the world, leave me alone about this subject. Like, I mean, like, you know, you have to take care of yourself, you have to be healthy, that's all very important. It is not necessary that the world tell you that you're a horrible person the entire time that you are fat. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it is possible to like, be fat and trying your best to take care of your health and also doing other things. And I talk about the way that like, the Biggest Loser or This Is Us sort of creates a situation where somebody is only considered to be a moral person if they're spending all of their being trying to unfat themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the beautiful things about stand-up is just forcing me to really love and enjoy the person that I am. You know, like all of the comedy I do stems from this person and the specificities and like you know even if it's not the most perfect I still spend a lot of time looking at other better gay guys saying I wish I could be another better gay guy uh, and then it's like but what would you do for a living then guy you couldn't complain about how sad your life is because everyone would hate you because you're hot <laughs> It would be really detrimental to your career. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think? And also, if I had that perfect gay body, I'm far too old to segue into underwear modeling. You know, it's just not something that could happen at this point. It would be. It's. It's behind you. Yes. It's behind you. That exit ramp is already gone. Yes. Absolutely. What What do you think Hollywood can do better um, in, in its representation of fat people, in the way it talks about fat people? Like, what? How How can Hollywood improve? I, I think just letting fat people be good at stuff sometimes is really important. The movie Spy was great. In the book, I. I say that Tracy Turnblad is the greatest fat character in Western literature <laughs> because Tracy Turnblad like gets to 
be good at something, from Hairspray, of course. Uh, and the thing that she's good at is her body and using her body. And, you know, it's nice to see Melissa McCarthy getting to be capable, getting to be sexy. Um, and I would like to see more of that. Absolutely. Well, you're capable. You're sexy. We'll see. Let's get, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in it, man. Let's right. get you a leading role. Let's get you a leading role. All right. I want to I talk a little bit uh, kind of about... Um, different other pieces of pop culture. Like, okay. you talk about it so much in the book and, and kind of how it helps you find yourself. What are okay. some other things you said, Hairspray? What are some other things you absolutely love? Oh, uh, things I absolutely love. Uh, the Parker Posey movie Party Girl means a lot to me. Uh, <laughs> I talk about this Danish movie from the 80s called Babette's Feast in the book. Uh, I love Babette's Feast. It's very good, but also that's why I called it unpopular culture because you can't exactly call that movie uh, popular, but it's the best. I don't, I don't quote it very often. I don't have sassy quotes. Of no, Babette's there are two Feast. quotes from that movie that are the best quotes. I use them all the time. An artist is never poor, um, and the artist's soul cries out across the world, let me give my utmost. Those are great lines, but it's basically just a movie about a lady who cooks for two old ladies. <laughs> but it will, but make, it's really good it will make you cry. I also love that you could just drop those quotes like They're that. They're so good. Also, I don't know them in Danish. They are quotes in Danish. I'm just talking the translation. <laughs> We're not going to hold your feet to the yeah. fire here, okay? Yes. It's all right. Um, uh, to, to kind of bring it into the, into the modern era, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm just having a lot of fun with you. No. Uh, Nanette. Everyone's yes. kind of talking about this incredible comedy special, uh, and in it, uh, Hannah says she doesn't want to be the, the butt of the joke anymore. What, how did you feel about that as a comedian? Uh, the thing is, is like, I was, first of all, let's be clear, I was medium stoned when I watched Nanette, so I didn't realize that we were all going to have to have opinions about it. Um, but it, it has made me think about stand-up comedy and what I do so much. Mm. I just don't know that I agree with her fundamental premise that jokes are fundamentally reductive and that in telling a joke and not a story, you're not giving the entirety of the situation. I think my job as a stand-up comedian is to figure out a way to tell you a joke get you to a place and then figure out what the next joke is that like problematizes what's been said there. I don't think that jokes are releasing tension. I think that a good joke should be creating tension, should be allowing two ideas to exist in the same place at the same time so that you can walk away and think about that. The best jokes that I've heard from like colleagues and friends are ones that made me f see things differently. See things different. Has a joke ever made you change your opinion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, with so many things, I mean, the best jokes put you into somebody else's perspective and let you understand how you should think about the way they approach the world. Mm. I don't have great examples right now, let's be honest. You're like, Isaac, I quoted Babette's feet. <laughs> what more do you want from me? No, but, like, I like jokes make me think differently all the time. I mean, they should, like, at their best, they're like, fun little arguments you don't see coming. Um, and like, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think it should take a story like pointing you in the direction of what the moral is. I think a good joke gives you the tools that you need to make up your own mind. Mm. And I respect other people to be smart enough to figure things out. I love that. Little arguments you don't see coming. That's such a great way to describe them. Uh, given the political climate right now, uh, have, you, have you changed your approach uh, to jokes, joke telling? Um, is, do you think it's more important now? Uh, I keep my passport with me at all times. <laughs> I understand that I am not the person most likely to be put in a camp, but you never know. <laughs> Uh, and my mother, as a responsible Jew, raised me to be prepared because it could go down at any moment. Um, I hate 
laughing that I'm laughing at that. No, it's just true. But, um, like, I do think, you know, when I started comedy, like, 12 or 13 years ago, there were a lot of people who th thought it was, like, dumb or dorky to be talking about like real ideas. Um, they just wanted to be having a good time. And I think that there's something deeply conservative about believing that you can be apolitical. This is a goddamn democracy. Like, we all have an obligation to be like carrying some buckets of water and sandbags. Um, and so I really like that people are, you know, getting more political in comedy right now. Um, I've always said what I thought about things. Like, politics has always been part of what I do, but not the majority of what I do. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, just as a gay comic over the course of the past 15 years, existence was political for me. Mm. Um, mm. So, like, you know, uh, that was so frequently me just telling my stupid little dick jokes um, was my way of challenging the system. But now we've moved along and need to keep democracy going. No one's, oh. No, go, go, No go. one's figured out how to talk about Donald Trump right now. The problem with Donald Trump is that it is too easy to make jokes about Donald Trump. So everybody is just saying, ha ha, he's orange, instead of being able to address the fact that like our democracy is crumbling um, and this dude doesn't know anything, but we're maybe gonna let him be our dictator. Um, so I think that there is a real challenge for comedians that we don't know how to answer yet. And it's really hard to talk about, oh, politics is so, or uh, comedy is so important f for commentary on politics when we're sort of not doing our job right now. Sort of not doing our job right now. That said, if I can count on anyone to figure it out, guy, I think you're one of the people I'm, that I'm gonna turn to. I have a lot of things going on, Isaac. <laughs> you're like, I'm busy. Yeah. Save democracy is about third on the list. I've got laundry. Um, <laughs> What's number two on the list, laundry? Oh, I mean, then saving democracy. Then saving democracy, all right. It's a lot of laundry, though. <laughs> it's, like two, it's like two days worth of laundry. Yes. Guy, thank you so much for coming on Thanks the show. Thanks so much for having absolute me. Absolute pleasure. Fun. My life as a goddess is in stores now. Definitely pick it up. It's absolutely hilarious and touching. And there's more AM to DM up next. from our own Lewis Peitzman. I feel personally attacked by people talking about how they, quote, don't really need AC. For the rest of us mere mortals who desperately do need AC, especially with this insane heat we're having in New York, summer brings with it a skyrocketing energy bill. This is Save the Day, brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 meal. And I'm joined by Kelsey Sheehy, a personal finance expert at NerdWallet, who's here to tell me how we can save money and stay cool. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. So we all know those of us in New York are kind of dying with this horrible humidity and heat wave. How costly can energy expenses get for people in the summer? I mean, it is crazy how expensive it can get. And it's not just in New York where it's been really hot this summer. All over the country, there's been record-setting high temperatures. So everyone's kind of feeling the pain of having that air conditioning running, you know, trying to keep cool all summer. It can get really expensive. For those of us who have pets especially or who just don't want to walk into a house that's 90 degrees, I personally keep our air conditioning running all day. So how can I make it a little more efficient? 
Well, there are a couple ways to make it more efficient. I mean, one of the first things that you can do is you really don't need to have your thermostat set to 68 degrees, 70 degrees all day. Um, you can, you know, turn it off or adjust the temperature up when you're asleep or when you're away from home. If you have central air, a, th- a smart thermostat is a great way to do that. But even some of the newer window air conditioning units um, give you the ability to adjust the temperature from your smartphone. So you can turn the AC up a little bit higher when you're about to come home for the office and you'll walk into a comfortable house. I've heard a little bit about these smart thermostats. Are they really worth the money? Can you talk a little bit about them? What do they do? So smart thermostats give you the ability, one, I mean, you can still program your um, your thermostat to, you know, be a little bit warmer when you're away from home, but a lot of us forget to do that. I'm not great at it. Um, so what, what you can do then is just, you know, at the office, adjust your temperature down, especially if you, you know, you're going to be working a little bit late or you're going to be out at night. And then, um, you know, turn the temp down when you get home or right before you get home. So doing that, like even just adjusting the temperature 10 to 15 degrees um, for eight hours a day can lower your total heating costs or heating and cooling costs by around 10% a year. I'm definitely guilty of when I come back, especially I've been running outside. I've ever sweat so much in my entire life. Uh, One of the things I like to do is when I get home is just stand in front of the freezer door. But I know that's obviously not the most efficient way to get cool. So obviously our fridges and our freezers are working overtime as well in this heat. So how can we make that a little bit more efficient? Yeah. Well, the first thing is don't stand there with the door open. Like that is something that our, you know, my mom harped on me about when I was a kid. Um, So that's the first thing you can do. The other is just making sure it's well sealed. You don't want your fridge and freezer to be working overtime and just leaking that extra cold air out. Uh, the, the third thing that you can do to help make them run more efficiently is to set the temperature. Most of us set it a bit cooler than it needs to be. So you can set your fridge to 38 degrees, your freezer to five degrees. That'll still keep your food fresh, but your fridge and freezer won't need to work so hard to maintain the temperature. So besides all of the gadgets we can use in our house, like our air conditioner and our fridge, what are some other ways to save energy in the summer? There are several really simple ways to do this. One of the easiest things you can do is just keep your blinds or your curtains drawn during the day. That's going to keep the afternoon sun from just heating up that room. Um, And another thing, and this is super simple, fans, if you've got them, use them. Um, Whether it's a ceiling fan or, you know, a box fan, they really do a great job of keeping you cool. And you can actually adjust the temperature on your air conditioning a little bit higher if you're using it fan and you're still going to be really comfortable. Um, One of the third things, and I know I always love an excuse to not use the oven, but avoid doing so when it's 90 degrees out because you're just heating up that room um, that you're working so hard to cool down. So use the microwave, grill outside, use a slow cooker, uh, just avoid using the oven. I have been thinking about getting one of those little personal fans for the subway that I see all the older women using. So maybe I'll do that, Kelsey. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. More AMTDM is up next. Keep cool. Jaden Peterson, you tweeted, 
Succession is about an old, rich, white, bigoted media mogul and his privileged, spoiled children fighting over his company. Every single character is unlikable. I shouldn't like this show, yet here I am. Gabriella Paella, senior writer at The Cut, joins me now to talk about why we all should be watching Succession. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good. How about you? I am doing very well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I want to start here because when I first started seeing ads for Succession, I just I was like, is that just the billions or is that just any other show about mm -hmm. so like so many rich people? Why are we so intrigued? Why do we like to watch these shows about the 1%? So I'll start by saying that I also thought it reminded me of Billions when I saw the ad. So I was like, do I really need to watch this? Um, I think we're intrigued by it because on one hand, we're in this period of great inequality more so than ever before. Like the top three wealthiest people in this country own as much wealth as the bottom 50%. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think there's something cathartic about watching rich people just act terribly. And um, I think there was an article at The Ringer initially talking about how this show is different from other shows about wealthy people because everyone on it is just terrible. You don't aspire to be like them, you don't even like them, mm. but you just, you get this pleasure out of watching them be terrible. It's almost like that's what cuts it away from there's nobody you're actually rooting for. And I wanna, I wanna pull up a no. line from the review that you wrote. In your review you said, with their wealthness, I'm sorry, with their wealthiness laid bare as a disease of both mind and spirit, they're just loathsome. So what makes you hate these characters so much? Yeah, that was very dramatic in retrospect, <laughs> but uh, they're just, you know, they just have so much money and they keep screwing it up and they, um, you know, some of them think that they're better than that and they try to make amends and then they end up screwing up again and then some of them are just, you know, rich jerks who do whatever they want. They have no consideration for other people's feelings, for the environment, for just any other people, any other people of any different class, yeah. <laughs> They're just jerks. Yes. Um, I do, I do, I feel like when I saw the ads too initially, and that's the thing, I've not seen the show, mm -hmm. your review maybe makes me want to binge it. Um, there's, there's, there's drama aspects to it, obviously, and it came off, those ads were very, very dark, but it's produced by like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, so how did they inject comedy into this? Mm -hmm. So also, um, I should mention, Jesse Armstrong wrote it, and he did Peep Show in the Thick of It, okay. um, and you can definitely tell the, it's just really funny, like it's not, I wouldn't say it's laugh out loud funny, but uh, everyone's a little bit awkward or constantly failing in a way that is funny. And, and then they're just so disconnected from reality that that ends up playing into that, 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 that actually speaks to the humor of it. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle, you tweeted uh, this about the character Cousin Greg, who provides most of the comic relief. 100% sincerely, I hope Cousin Greg keeps accidentally stumbling upon things until he has unknowingly taken over the company and finds himself completely shocked to be running a media conglomerate. So, uh, Gabriella, why is Cousin Greg a fan favorite? So he, so when you first meet him, he's wearing a mascot costume, he's stoned, he just pukes out of the eyes of it. Um, so that's like your first impression of him and it doesn't really get better from there. Um, he's just like the ultimate fail son, fail nephew in this case. Um, and he doesn't really fit into this world, but I think by the end of the season you see that he starts to understand the mechanisms that make it work and I suspect he's gonna be more of a villainous character in season two, or not villainous, but just, uh, sort of integrate into the family a little bit more. Yeah, so let's talk, because Samuel French, you tweeted, Succession takes a few episodes for them to find their footing and for the audience to learn how to handle the fine line between comedy and drama. But last night's unreal finale ended an excellent season of TV. So, Gabrielle, as, as, as an expert, do you have any predictions for season two? Or any hopes and dreams? Oh, you know, I... 
there is one political battle on the show that I hope is going to emerge. There's like a fake Bernie Sanders figure, and he's going up against the head of this media conglomerate. So I think we're going to see that. Uh, you know, spark into a bigger fight. Uh, one of the sons wants to run for president. You see cousin Greg starting to get more manipulative. So I think they're just gonna get even deeper in. Oh man, I'm, in, I'm excited to binge it. I'm just you rooting for watch. cousin Greg already. I'm kind of like, no, cousin Greg, stay pure. But listen, no. thank you so much for joining us, Gabriella. Really appreciate your insight. And up next, Chantal and I are gonna read your tweets. Stick around. Welcome back. So Chantal, I wanted to ask, do you like have any tips for staying cool in the summer? I do, Isaac. Ooh. Stay inside. Do not <laughs> leave the building. Really just take in that AC. Don't let it, don't let it get you. As much AC as, as possible. Crank that sucker on like 50. Okay. Just really stay inside. Icebox. Just yeah. stay inside. Yeah. Anything else? Any other? Yeah, so I have this little uh, cute little fan thing I have from Amazon. It's five bucks. It's a fan you clip into your phone and what? you just let it rip. I'm on the subway train, Beyonce fan. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, only five dollars. It just plug. It's like a little. Yeah, it's like a tiny little fan. You plug in, and it's basically the the phone is the battery, and it just it's a diva fan. I love the idea of you taking selfies, but like getting that wind blown look. Yeah, so you can see on the platform, like. Because it's hot down there. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, we unleashed some polite Midwestern fury on our mentions by asking about whether South Dakota is in the Midwest. Saber Breaker says, as a Minnesotan, who's been? Yes, South Dakota is a Midwestern state. I don't know why this is a debate. I don't know why this is a debate. Well, here's why, my friend, because a lot of you had feelings. Oh, yes. Rachel Hey Girlfield was not convinced. She tweeted, oh, South Dakota is not a Midwest state. And come on, New York people, you argue about what upstate means, and that is in your own state. Mm-hmm. To which I say fair. fair. That is a very fair yeah. critique. Very much um, so. I really saw arguments on both sides. I'm going to say that I was not swayed, though. I, I When I picture the Midwest, I don't think South Dakota is kind of in my in that space. Yeah, what about you? What's the moral of the story of the day, Isaac? Stay in your lane. So South Dakota, <laughs> folks, I believe what you say. I'm going to take your word for it. Chantal's like, I'm, I'm minding my, my goddamn business. business. It's the way to live, honestly. Kirsten Baptiste is just confused. Wait, so what is a northern state? That's fair. That's really, I mean, that, it, it is, is up key. there. Yeah. I mean, it's South Dakota, but it's up there. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's just a whole other debate. That's a whole other, like, is, like, is South Dakota a, a northern whole, state? Yeah. So let us know. Tweet us. What do you think? Yeah, let's, let's, let's get <laughs> some more fights going on. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much to everyone that was on the show today. Our guest, Guy Branham, Hayes Brown, Vera Bergen-Grun, Kate Nocera, Alexis Levinson, Stephanie McNeil, Kelsey Sheehy, and Gabriella Paella. Thank you all so much for joining us. And Chantal, thank you for co-hosting okay. this morning. Absolute Such pleasure. Uh, bringing polka dots back. We're there doing it. Tomorrow, I'm going to be co-hosting with Stephanie McNeil. She's back, back, back again. And we will be here Wednesday, 10 a.m. Don't miss it. Until then.